0: The Andy J podcast. The Andy J podcast. The Andy J podcast. I am so pleased to welcome my very special guest for the whole show this week. He's one of the nation's most successful and popular actors. He is a man who is currently rocking the silver fox look. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that, which is ironic given that we perhaps first became most aware of him when he was a werewolf. It is the national treasure that is, Mr. Russell Tovey. How are you doing, Russell? Hey,
1: I'm really, I'm really good. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, I am rocking the silver fox thing. I've embraced it and... Nobody's been that insulted so far, so I've kept it.
0: (laughs) You didn't want to do the whole, uh, whatever they call it, just for men.
1: I think, well, you know, when you do an acting job, they colour your hair anyway, so it's fine. But no, in my real life, I try to keep it as, simple and basic as possible
0: it's working mate it's it's kind of Thanks. it's a little bit uh cluny in er if that makes sense Lovely. Exactly.
1: That, that's fantastic thank you <laughs> i don't think it is but that sounds brilliant cheers.
0: no some people I, I, I wasn't expecting this tangent russell but nonetheless here we go some people yeah. can work the old the silver fox thing and it's it's working on you cheers
1: i appreciate that
0: Shall we mention the age thing, Russell? Because, of course, this year we'll see you turning 40. How are we feeling about that?
1: Uh, We are feeling um, (laughs) like it doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. Um, I've always, every time I've done a job, I've always usually been the youngest person in the room. That's because I've been doing acting since I was like 11. And now I'm doing jobs and I'm like one of the oldest actors that they've got in that room. And that's (laughs) terrifying. But great (laughs) i guess isn't that like we all get old i'm I'm embracing it life's great you know what everything's been i'm so busy i've got i've diversified a few years back and that was like doing the acting but also doing art and writing and curating and there's so much going on that i just feel like i've got so much more to do so the age thing just is you know it's just there it's happening and i'm embracing it i'm not doing any celebrations myself but i've given the responsibility to my boyfriend to sort out my party because i can't i'm i dread the thought of having to get a guest list together and organize <laughs> something so that's doing really
0: that. that's really mean russell i mean this is <laughs> is it <laughs> oh yeah that's i mean oh, that's no. the pressure that's almost that's almost like how much do you love me
1: yeah true yeah well exactly (laughs) exactly well that is it it's a test (laughs) if if, if it's a rubbish party we're done so no pressure
0: i mean i love these tangents we're taking already and i'm desperate to get onto art but let's let's just talk 40th birthday if you were (laughs) if you were planning it yourself i mean look your contacts list russell let's be fair based just on your podcast guests alone you could throw the greatest party the world has ever seen couldn't you
1: uh like yeah i guess yeah i mean it'd be incredible but um what would i uh, yeah <laughs> what would i do though i would just get a big you know school hall <laughs> with like a dj system and some volovents ball- I'm... That for me would be enough, <laughs> but you, when you, if you invite all them people, you need a bit more class. It's, we, um, it's surely I, the Tate
0: Modern. Surely, come on, open goal. I
1: mean, yeah. that is too extra, isn't it? I mean, that's. I mean, I, I, I'm so. You know what I realise as I've got older is that, and I've said that. to said this a lot is that your real life has to be as important as your pretend life, and that sounds. The glamour of everything is wonderful, and I love. I love all that side of my life, but why I got into acting is because I love acting. And what I really love, outside of that, is just being normal. It's just being with my dogs and my friends and my family and my partner and just chilling. And that. So the the, the thought now of having a Tate Modern extravaganza, fortieth birthday, just actually sends shivers through me. <laughs> cut, cut, cut to November. Steve's like. Welcome to the tape one. <laughs> like, no. But I, uh, yeah, that doesn't, that that terrifies me more than excites me now.
0: You've got Elton John playing the piano, Tracy Emmons, you know, just doing some amazing artwork in the background. You've got Pierce Brosnan dancing on the piano. You're saying no to that.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, for the minute, for the minute. If, it, if it happens in front of me, great, but I don't want to organize it. I'm not, I'm not into the logistics of that, no,
0: no, well, hence handing over the responsibility.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Stick a blindfold on me, show me, show me what we're doing, done.
1: Happy That's perfect days. for me. That's yeah. perfect for me. Yeah,
0: 40 candles is a lot to blow out. I know from experience my lung capacity nearly gave in, so <laughs> get, get practicing. It's, uh, it's it's a good moment you've got enough time you've got enough time now yeah, Russell, one of the reasons why we've been able to get you on the show and I'm thrilled to have your company joining us today I'm absolutely delighted is is of course this whole new side to you that you've you've sort of alluded to it's not new to you but perhaps to the listeners of this show it'll be something that they're just kind of realizing about you which is this immersion and passion for art that you have and, mm. and primarily contemporary art
1: mm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been, it it has actually been running alongside my acting life uh, for many, many years. Um, And I've sort of been in this polyamorous relationship with acting and art. But art has been, you know, my personal thing. I go to galleries. I'm like a benefactor and a patron and I collect. And like one of my best mates, Rob Diamond, who I do the podcast with, Mm -hmm. is You know, we have this shorthand for art and we have these dialogues and conversations that a lot of other people around us don't really get. We've got this little kind of magic conversations we keep going through art. But it's only recently that I've actually been able to bring that into the forefront of my life. And suddenly I've now got these two areas, these two areas of culture, these two abilities to be creative, these two zones to celebrate the best of what it is to be human to kind of express emotions and, and put everything out there. And that feels like the biggest privilege ever that I've been able to kind of switch lanes and then bring it back into my life. And I, I'm so proud of that.
0: What I love about this as well, Russell, is that your, the way you express That's a terrible phrase, isn't it? But the the way you discuss and describe art is so connected and passionate. And yet, when we look at other people who have excelled in, in different fields... The likes of Darren Brown, Vic Reeves, of course, Jim Moyer, who we know are brilliant artists because we see their paintings and we see them putting it on their social media, etc. We know that their passion is rooted in doing. Piers Brosnan was a recent guest of yours. I've mentioned him already, you know, on the podcast. And and I hadn't realized he was such a brilliant artist as well until I heard on your show. You've had several like that. But you yourself, you're not coming at this from a I'm a creator of Art on canvas or on a wall or whatever. Obviously, what you do as an actor is art, but you're coming at this as a collector, as a passionate member of the art observation
1: community. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a supporter, basically, as a celebrator, as someone that is facilitating uh, opportunities of discovery. So I feel like our podcast is this conduit where we're these two art geeks that sit there and we are bringing an audience to. Discovery. So you talked about Pierce Brosnan. I mean, the, the 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 fact that we can have Pierce Brosnan on, who is James Bond, and he rarely he talks about being James Bond. Mm. He just talks about the fact that we talk about his art, and he really gets to talk about it. And you know, you discover like, wow, I didn't realise that James Bond made these incredible paintings and the story of his life and all all the trauma that he's been through. He's been able to channel this pain into being creative. And that was such an amazing episode because them episodes are what Talk Art is about. It's about showing how we are all creative and how we all have this relationship to art that so many people are scared of. But for me, it's been so important and so fun and so brilliant that all we want to do with the podcast and with this book now is just give people permission to have fun with it and not see it as something that is reverential and, and like a members club and not for them, elitist and academic and everything I ever watched about art growing up, you would see a lot of stuffy people talking very like earnestly and quietly about what they were seeing in front of them with references i didn't know what they were mm-hmm. and they're all nodding along and it just kicks you out and you're like this isn't for me i'm being told that if i don't understand these references you're talking about if i don't know these art movements or practices or this artist or that artist then i this discussion isn't for me and that frustrated me that and i because i was like i love this i'm drawn to this but you're not letting me in and i want to come in and you're it's like you've got this guest list And my name's not down on the guest list, but I'm standing at the door hoping I can see someone. But what Talk has done is we've gone around the back of the club, we found a gap in the fence, and we've gone, yeah, come in this way, come in this way, tell everyone, keep it down. But it's really fun in there, but just come in the side entrance because I'm always like, what does that mean? What are you saying? Who is this artist? And I know a lot now, but I don't know as much. I'm not an expert. I'm just a geek. I come from a place of passion. But I know a lot, and I don't know half the things that people are talking about. So I'm like, well, what is that? Explain that. Tell me that. And I think that has been the key for this, because I don't think many people discuss art in the way that is for the everyman. And the point of art is that it is for the everyman, because artists are making art for everyone. They're not just making it for collectors. They're not just making it for the galleries. They want you in the galleries. They want to communicate. They want to tell their story. They want as many people as possible to hear what they want to say and are needing to say and are compelled to say. So that is my kind of mantra for why art is so important, but all culture is so important because it's storytelling. And until you you see yourself represented on the gallery wall, you can deny your existence and it is art's responsibility to represent the world okay. yeah. <laughs> that's that's bang on russell that's a bit heavy one. Time is this going? out? Everyone's yeah. going to be like switch off. Well, yeah. so I've got a hangover. Yeah, hang We've just yeah. talked about how
0: accessible art is, and then you've just used the most incredible words, and I'm like, oh, what? Wow! But yes, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look the the two sort of the two factions to this. We've got this brilliant new book, which is just a riot of joy, which we're going to come onto in a second, and of course the the talk art podcast, which has been out for a long time, over a hundred episodes, and 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 like you say, the accessibility just just from the hearing the two of you and your guest. You know, when I think, oh, it's an art podcast, I, I kind of, the first time I became aware of it, which was a few months ago, I kind of saw all all the names that you were talking to and I was just assuming it was going to be a bunch of artists that I probably hadn't heard of. So when I'm seeing the likes of Michael Stipe in there, you know, and Elton John and so on, and I'm like, well, hang on, what, what have these guys got to do with art? And actually it becomes a conversation, and I suppose this is the bigger picture and the bigger question mark about art, it becomes a conversation about life and about putting yourself out there. It's not just about, you know, you're not just talking about the minutiae of, oh, so what brush did you use for that? You know, it's it's much more, what compelled you to do that? What were you saying here? Why? Where was your head at at this moment in
1: time? Well, I mean, we just... Well, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think the, the whole thing is, is about balance and it's about it, bringing different audiences in from different, like, you, you know, Michael Stipe's R.E.M. fan base will come in and listen to that. Elton John, everybody, everybody knows Elton John, one of the biggest, ferocious collectors of contemporary art, especially photography, has had like his collections shown at the Tate Modern. It's like you bring them audiences in, but then you also champion emerging artists you you introduce artists that people have never heard of but everybody has this art story and it's just the more you can kind of mainstream that the more it becomes something that people think it's for them the more that they're not scared to go into a gallery the more they can stand in front of works of art and go i don't get this but that's okay because i get this other thing that i can see around the corner and that's fine because that's for me because i'm i i'm engaging with that story and this story isn't for me but that one is and You know, it's about there's no hierarchy on the podcast. We're not saying this person's famous, this person isn't. We're saying, like, let's all have this conversation. And one of the best things we did was when we started the lockdown, I was in New York doing a play, and then it got shut down and flew home. And we'd only ever recorded in person with our equipment or we did it in the studio, and we were a bit like, reluctant to kind of go online with it but then we worked out a way how to do it remotely and it suddenly opened up the whole world and we were recording every other day we we're putting two episodes out a week and we have now got this time capsule which we called uh core R-Tunes. and we've got this time capsule of a moment in culture at the start of the lockdown and throughout where we talked to so many people and it was like, what, how is this affecting you? How, are you, how is this affecting your creat- creativity? How are you channeling your anxieties, your fears, your hopes? What is this doing to affect the world around you, your family? But what is this doing to affect your art? And that was brilliant because it was like therapy because who do people look to at times of tr- trouble? Well, you look to the people that you recognize. You look to the people that are on you know, the news. You look to the people and go, like, tell me – how to feel tell me if what i'm feeling is okay and the artists are the people and people who are in the art world or creative people are the people that are able to express the anxieties of a nation so doing that feels like we've really kind of got the yet yeah, a time capsule for this moment in history that was terrifying mm. and also personally for me and for robert I'm obviously going through that. I'm incredibly anxious. I'm fearful for my family, for my parents. I'm fearful for my friends, for, you know, my career, for what's going on in the world. And being able to channel all of that into being creative again, to making this thing and having conversations, was like therapy and was a privilege beyond anything, you know, I've ever done. And for people to be so open and wanting to come on was like an absolute gift.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely, and and what I love about this as well is that I'm I'm not an art geek as as you describe yourself. I like art, of course. My my grand mm-hmm. used to used to run the Stanley Spencer Gallery, and uh, you know, no so, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a wonderful. Well, she was a wonderful woman, and I. So my you know, lots of my childhood memories are running around this little gallery, looking at these massive uh. paintings, and just going, wow, this is really amazing, and something something completely unique and spectacular. So you know, I I, I have a huge passion for art, but I don't have this kind of learned understanding as it were so so I come at this as a novice and so therefore this is why I'm able to sort of say you know reading the book listening to the podcast it is totally accessible I mean you're opening blurb about yourself you talk about your connection to Beavis and Butthead Ren and Stimpy and uh, yeah. Jessica
1: Rabbit you know brilliant <laughs> what, yeah what, what a hat trick Yeah, but that, I mean, that was my, uh, I'm I'm a very visual person, and that was my route in. So I loved cartoons, I loved comic books, and I then discovered really early on Roy Lichtenstein, who was an artist that was taking, appropriating comic book imageries and putting them into museums, into galleries. Andy Warhol, Keith Haring, street artists, street like these very geometrically shaped figures, brightly coloured, like cartoons on gallery walls. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute, I haven't got to grow up here. I can still appreciate comics and cartoons, but I'm in a in a high art gallery setting, and there they are on the wall, and I get it. I can see it. I love it. I want to be around it, and that was the transition for me from like realizing that actually I it, I can stay a kid. You see so much now of like art, like adults that are collecting toys that are made by artists yeah. like Cause yeah. is one of the world's biggest artists and he, he puts out these toys they sell out people have them on their shelves they're just you know if you look at it on a basic level they're, they're plastic toys yes. for kids They but they, they're imbued with art history and what he stands for and you know the world and where we are and, and, and you know what's going on constantly contemporary it's completely contemporary that for me I find fascinating so that, that happened, but then I I was always feeling like, I love this art, but there was something missing. And then when I discovered the YBAs when I was 16, the young British artists, so we're talking about Damien Hurst, Sarah Lucas, Tracy, I mean, obviously, Ron Julian Gillian Waring, uh, Mark Quinn, loads, so many artists, seeing them at the Saatchi Gallery, I was like, hang on a minute, I'd never heard the word contemporary before. And suddenly I was like, this is contemporary. This means it's happening now. This means that I can be part of this conversation. They're making work right this second that I'm now going to see in a few months. That blew my mind because suddenly I was like, I can be a part of this. Wow. And all the artists I loved before they've died and their work's incredible. But now these artists I love, are making work. So I, it felt like I could be part of this Andy Warhol factory. I can suddenly, you know, be friends with these people. I can see them and, you know, acting and art and, culture all goes hand in hand so suddenly i'm going to events when things start doing going really well for me and i'm sat on a table opposite anthony gormley or grayson perry sat there Tracy emin i became friends with and and suddenly you're like it it blew my mind because for me that felt like you're on the pulse of art history you are part of their history witnessing it they witnessing to the world evolving that that bloke constantly blows my mind and that is why I'm championing them of emerging artists because they're constantly this evolvement and it's constant, you know, the way that the world is changing when it comes to art, this whole thing with the niftys, the NFTs, the the digital artworks, it's like culture doesn't stay still. It completely evolves and people get frustrated and they're like, whoa, whoa, slow down because I I need to catch up with this. It's like, no, 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 catch up or get left behind. Mm. I love that about it. I love that about culture that it doesn't wait. It's like, no, I'm going this way. You're going to come? You're going to follow me? In. You know, okay, stay back, back there then. Stay back there and just just whinge about it because <laughs> I, I don't care because I'm I'm going off. That I love that
0: and you know you you've described that so brilliantly russell because of course you know in in a layman's kind of way of looking at it you can you can almost make this parallel with the evolution of art with with music you know that's the, that's the sort of easiest thing you know are you listening oh, yeah. to mozart are you listening to the beatles are you listening to the streets are you listening to you know r- what what's the latest thing what are you into what's your vibe where's your journey and, and and for generations it's well who's speaking to me who's speaking to my reality and often it's the people that are doing it right now in your here and now and it's that's where you can see the timeline with contemporary art, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And at every stage you've had someone on the sidelines going like, this isn't art. This isn't music. This isn't good. You shouldn't be doing this. Stop right now. And they don't. And then suddenly everyone looks back and goes, that was a genius. That that work was amazing. (laughs) That changed the game. That's That's a benchmark in history. That's a benchmark in popular culture. That's a benchmark in art history. And that's, you know, art doesn't care for reins. Art is not going to be restrained. Art is not going to be told what to do on any level. When it comes to music, when it comes to writing, film, it's all about constantly evolving and the contemporary and the emerging and new voices. Because I, I we, we, I, I don't know how you, you, you're, you just said you're older than forty. It's like 43. I'm forty-three. Very okay. So we're the same generation. Is that? I am so relieved that I had an experience in my life of knowing the world pre-internet, of knowing what that was. I can't imagine what it is to be in a world where you've only ever known social media. You've only ever known the internet. and That, that is where you live. So we, we, we're a generation now where we're kind of like, oh, we're worried about it. And this digital artwork, it doesn't make sense to us. There's a lot of frustration and anger and it's like why people are making money. But for the generations below us, they're like it makes complete sense they live online yeah their lives have been online from dot, dot. so why would digital artwork not be as credible to them as us seeing a picasso in the tate modern it's like for them that makes complete sense but for us it's it, it's debilitating it's a bit like baffling but that's so brilliant because you then have this intergenerational cultural conversation which then stems up which again is about like pushing everything forward, exploring the world and discovering what is out there and what is what is it's limitless. What else is yet to be discovered? How much more we can go? And, and you know this on a, a, a basic level, like so many stories are yet to be told and so many stories haven't been told that need to be told. But you look at things like last year, the biggest television show on TV was May I Destroy You with Michaela Cole. It was like yeah. a groundbreaking piece of TV. Now, there was an episode where... She's a woman, and once a month women have a period, and she had an episode where she had a period yep. while she was on the one night stand and you saw it and it was quite you know it was quite raw and exposing and it showed everything of what it was when a woman had, is on a period and she has a one night stand the the kind of the the tremors of shock and the tremors of of like fear and like what is going on there was incredible, and I thought. Isn't that amazing that this happens to women every month, but yet seeing it like that, is everyone is so shocked. And you're like, wow, isn't this amazing that even within the human condition, the, the, the simplicities of what it is to be a human for a woman is shown on TV like that, and suddenly everyone's like shocked and they can't believe it. And you're like, wow, we've got so many stories to tell, but yet when it comes to even the basics, we still haven't told them. We still haven't told the period story where women, little girls can go, oh, that's what it is. Oh, that's normal. Oh, okay. Because there's, there's this shame around it. I remember a friend telling me that she was at a wedding and she came on a period halfway through the wedding and she had to go off and get, you know, tampons. And she came back and her, her friend said, oh, where were you? And she was going to go, oh, I had to go and make a phone call. And she suddenly went, why am I lying about this? She went, I had to go and get some tampons. The friend went, oh, okay. And she went, God, isn't that fascinating that my default was to lie about my period, yeah, which half of, the, yeah. half of the world is going through. And my default was to do that because there's not representation. It's an, and I found that so fascinating that you're like, wow, the representation of even the story of being a woman, having a period is yet to be really uh, described in culture. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah. that blew my mind. That blew my mind.
0: Yes, yes, and and you're so right. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you flagged up. I may destroy you because it is a it is a triumphant piece nice. of television. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. absolutely brilliant. Um, Russell, let, let's talk about how you caught the bug for all this. And, and if you don't mind, I want to delve just a little into your childhood. I don't want to get too personal, but you know, I'd, yeah. I'd like to sort of see where it came from. Because as as I understand it, you were an avid collector of well, pretty much everything as a, as a kid.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was. I was. Uh, my brother's completely opposite, doesn't want anything, but I was someone that wanted to accumulate. If I was into something, I needed to know everything about it, and I needed to have it around me. And I went from coins to phone cards. Do you remember phone cards that used to have yes. all the, the pictures <laughs> on? From all around the world, I'd books of phone cards, key rings, postcards, stamps, uh, then I had lizards, so I had lizards, loads of lizard stuff, so I was obsessed with lizards. Suddenly I had reptiles. One got out, Dinky got out and They're lived the on live my ones. Live ones, yeah. Oh, Dinky wow. got out and lived on my bedroom ceiling for about three months. <laughs> uh, we, used to, we used to feed them live crickets, which would get out and hatch. And then my mum would be like, That's all these crickets in the bathroom. And I'd have to go up there and get these crickets. <laughs> uh, so I had that space. Then I, was, I collected all the original Star Wars toys. So I got really into the sci-fi world. And I went down like Buck Rogers. And, and I, I, I was someone that just needed everything of whatever it was I was interested in I needed to collect I needed the collection I needed every sticker to finish the collection then that was done that chapter was done nice. I don't know what that is psychology wise every other collector can't explain what it is but it's this thing of looking after stuff protecting stuff being around things that you love looking at and caring for and the privilege of having that in your life and I guess that's led on to the art collecting because that feels like You know, it feels like a self-portrait. The best authentic art collections really tell you something about the person. And they also are like a life story for me because I look around my house And I'm like, oh, I bought that one because I was doing that play in that country. I bought that after that TV show. I really responded to that because I met the artist and he was so good and I wanted to collect his work. That artist I supported when they were emerging and now they've just had a show at the Whitney, but I've got this work here that I got really cheap and I know that when I bought that, that paid for the materials for them to keep making their artwork. There's all these things that are kind of, if you authentically collect and are passionate and genuine, they are a representation of you And I really feel like, you know, my life is shown through the the stuff that I have in my house, stuff I surround myself with. Looking
0: at it, it's almost like a diary of your life that's on your wall. 100%.
1: 100%. I mean, I've. And their friendships, you know, a lot of these artists are my friends, are people that, you know, I've. That's the beauty of life supporting emerging artists, is that you can really impact their life and have a friendship there and grow with them. And a lot of these artists that I live with are people that I know and care about mm. and like are my heroes. And I get, you know, the privilege of having their work on my wall and knowing that I can text them or talk to them or have them on the podcast or able to go, hey, I want to put you in my book. Is that okay? Yeah. That, and then to go like, yes, please wow that blows my mind
0: yes but but to be fair russell that is a position of privilege that you that you have generated for yourself you have earned it through your through your life's endeavors but you know to the layman to the to the to, to the me to the listener you know we sort of think wow an art collection gosh and one of the first things i think we think of is too expensive buying art is expensive and yet you're trying to dispel that myth a little aren't you
1: well, yeah, but I guess that, that that myth comes from looking at auctions because all we're really told in the mainstream media is this work sold for this much at auction last night, isn't it? A load of rubbish. This work sold for this last night, but that's now going. You, you're never going to see that again. It's going to someone's vault, but you're told through mainstream media that art and money, commodity, the commercial side of the art world, is all it really is. And unless you have like hundreds of thousands of pounds, don't bother. That isn't it because mm-hmm. There is the commercial art side, and yes, everything plays into it. But there is the art world where you can really—and I say it again—the emerging artists find artists on Instagram that you really respond to, and you can buy original works of art by them. That you buying that for fifty pound, a hundred pound, which isn't—it isn't loads of money, but obviously is a lot of money to a lot of people. But if you really are passionate, and you can save that up, and that feeling of being able to do that—you are supporting the creativity of an artist you are paying towards their studio fees you are buying their materials to encourage them to keep going and you can grow with them and you can find this so- because of instagram the world of art has opened up there are so many amazing artists on there and support local institutions small museums small gallery spaces because you can really find what you want and the thing is, is that you shouldn't be scared of it and you're going to hate everything there will be one thing that you see and you go, I really like this. Why do I like that? And you've got to lean into that and listen to that and trust your instincts. Alan Bennett has this thing where he says, above every gallery doorway, it should say, you haven't got to like everything. (laughs) It's, It's giving you permission to go like, oh, okay. Because the thing, what it does is that when you're told you need to understand this, you need to appreciate this, and you don't, it's frustrating. It's like they say, don't consider religion or politics when you're drunk. Add art to that list, and right. you've got a mix because art makes people so angry because they don't get it. And, but, they'd be, but they're but they made to feel like they're stupid, and and it's only for you know the people over there that get it, and it's the special people that get it. It's not for you. That isn't true. Yes. It's for everyone. And if you don't get it, that's completely fine because you don't care for that story. But there is a story there through visually, you know, that you're going to respond to.
0: Yes, and and also you'll you'll discover something when you when you're. Researching art or, or looking into it, yeah. you'll discover well, something no, that you can't you can't explain why you like it. I don't know why exactly. I like it. Exactly, but, but really that's okay. Do.
1: Yeah, but that's okay. But the thing is, it's like when it comes to like all art is, is storytelling. It's like every medium. You know, you you pick up a book, we get that. You listen to music, we get that. You watch a film, we understand that. You sit there, you get your popcorn, you watch a movie. It's, it starts, it ends. But with art, you got to work a bit harder. But all it is is storytelling in just a different kind of dimension you just got to spend a bit more time with you've got to work a little bit harder but the payoff is massive because when you do get it or when you do feel something when you do start to understand about the artist or you want to know more it's so exciting it's like you pick up a book and you love a writer And you go, well, I'm going to read another book by this writer because I love him. And you go, well, this writer said that he's been influenced by like Stephen King, for example. So I'm going to go back and read Stephen King. Oh, Stephen King was really like responded to like the movies of this person or the the artwork of this person. Mm -hmm. And that's why, and I want to know about that because I really like this writer and I'd like to know why I like his writer and where he got his inspiration from. That little rabbit hole is magic, a magical maze where you can just wander down and you can find so much information along that route. I go think, there.
0: <laughs> I love it, and and just listening to you talk, Russell. You know, I think I think in another life you would have made a brilliant detective because you have that sort of forensically <laughs> inquisitive
1: mind. I you? am, I am, yeah, I am forensic, definitely. I think that's when it comes to the podcast, I'm allowed to be forensic with my heroes. Yes. I'm allowed to suddenly go, you know, tell me about this and why this and what is that and do you understand it? Because I'm, you know, I'm trying to work it out myself. I'm trying to work out myself for myself. It's like that being able to talk to creative people about creativity is a gift
0: yeah yeah and it's and it's such an entertaining lesson. Uh, uh russell let's talk about tracy emin because of course she as is a, is a- eminent artist everyone in the uk knows her. i mean worldwide everybody knows tracy emin and her work i would say a lot of people as well know about her recent health struggles which have been yeah. horrific by the sound of things but her connection to you and your connection to her is is quite a remarkable tale you, you talk about and i hope you don't mind me sharing this but you talk about um astral projection and visualization mm-hmm. and and uh, just tell me the story starting of when you you happened upon her just by chance
1: well, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, like manifestation, I guess, when you think about things or you care about something. Like, I'm someone that will, will go to bed and I'll walk around uh, an art gallery in my head, and I'll go like, oh, and I, or, or my, my own art gallery one day in my head, or like a big house somewhere. And you think, oh, I'd hang that artwork there. I will put that painting there. It's like I'm always curating. So I have that sort of visualization thing. I've always had that since I was younger. But um, with Tracy, I went to, I was going to a party, and I went to a friend of a friend's house, and we was all meeting there for a drink beforehand. And on the wall was a Tracy Emin drawing called Dog Brains. And it's this big white sheet of paper, and it's got this figure in the middle, and you can't really work out if it's male or female, but it's got this kind of like dog head, and it says dog brains in text. And in the bottom, it said Tracy MN 2000 from the year 2000. And prior to that, I would loved the YBAs. I was getting really obsessed with Young British Eyes, but I had no idea that you could own an edition that are- artist would make these multiple works in editions of like 100, 200 that you could actually own. I said to my friend, I said, Where'd you get that from? And he said, I don't know, it's my flatmates and he's gone away and I was like, Oh my God. And I suddenly felt so jealous and envious of his flatmate that he got to live with that every day. He got to walk past that and had that in his life. And I was determined to find out where it was. Anyway, I was with other friends and like months later we was it was the Queen's Jubilee and we were walking through East London. And there on Fournier Street And at the end of a a Queen's Jubilee street party was Tracy Emin. She was sweeping up the street. And I was like, this is amazing. I just walked straight up to her and I said, hi, I'm your biggest fan. Where do I get this print? And she went, oh, that's made by Carl Friedman of Counter Editions. He's over there. And I was like, right. So I went and met Carl Friedman and I said, I want that print. He said, hey, here's the uh, phone number, call me. And then my parents just come up to my 21st and they said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I want this print. They were like, What? They said, you want a print with dog brains on? I said, yeah. They said, you don't want to watch? I was like, no. No, I want this print. And they were like, okay. And I think they knew then. They were like, sure. cool that's what Russell is never going to want something. (laughs) Everybody else wants. He wants that. So then, and then, so I had that when I was 21. And then I did the history boys. And I was, I got really um, obsessed with Tracy's work. I think like her drawings, her monoprints. Because for me, if you look up her monoprints, they're this stream of consciousness. They're the artist's hand, She doesn't really think about that. She's just taking one sheet of paper and doing these drawings, autobiographical, whatever comes to her. And it's something kind of uh, like an inner monologue, this, this uh, energy that comes out of them that I was obsessed with. So the History Boys did really well. We was at the South Bank Show Awards, and on the table next to me was Tracy Emin. And I was like, I am going to have a glass of champagne with Tracy Emin. This is the last thing I do. I'm going to do it. So I went up to her and I said, we met at the the jubilee uh, i got your edition of my birthday and then we just hung out the whole night we got drunk and then she went do you want to come and brought me to some parties i was like hell yes wow. and it was that feeling i was describing to you where you're like i feel like i'm being this is history happening and i'm part of it suddenly i felt like I was, when i sat in the taxi i was like this is i can't i have to pinch myself so i was like this for me is like a dream because this is this just plays into everything that I'm like the contemporary about, like being in the moment and and being part of something. Because Tracy Eminem is, and especially then, was just like the pulse of art. She was like at the fourth, like, like at the, the pinnacle of culture. So we went to all these parties and we got drunk and drunk and then I had to get back. I was living in Essex at the time, so I had to get the last train from Liverpool Street. And then I woke up the next morning. and I had a text saying, "Hi, Pokey." She called me Pokey because my ears. It was nice to meet you let's uh, let's hang out again soon and I remember being like I can't believe it it was like it blew my mind yeah. and so we became really good friends and I was collecting when I did the History Boys movie uh, that was when I got a good little paycheck and I put all that money into buying a Tracey Emin drawing original so from that point I was like this goes hand in hand with my acting. I do a film, I invest it in art. I do a TV show, I put it into art. And every time I got a TV or a job, I was like, how much are we getting paid? And I think, great, I can sort of give some of that, buy something with that. And that, that felt really exciting. So Tracy also had another young collector, uh, a guy who was a musician at the time called Robert Diamond. And she had a retrospective in 2008. And she, I'd always heard about this other young collector and I was slightly envious. I'm like, who is he? And she was the same. <laughs> and Rob was the same. And then she sat next to each other at this dinner in Edinburgh. And that felt like, in the position I am now with Rob, with this podcast and this book, that just felt like, how can that not be fate? How can that not be meant? Because I met him, and we became such firm friends, but we had this... I'd met someone else on the planet who thought and felt about art exactly the same way I did. Yeah. About, about And I was like, how can that... How, how can this woman that we both this tracy emin tracy emin how can she have facilitated this but it's through her it then then happened and like we had we've we've been friends forever and then suddenly in 2018 it was like let's do a podcast let's like set this up where we can just basically me and you chat to each other about we can be geeks create a platform where we can be complete geeks we can just come out and go we're art geeks we love art this is the shows we've seen. These are the artists we love. This is what we've been listening to, reading, watching. And then suddenly it was like, oh, look, why don't we invite our friends on? Why don't we invite our artist friends on? Why don't we invite our gallerist friends on? And it grew and grew and grew. And then we got offered this book deal, which we wrote during the lockdown. And now we've got this book that's literally just come out that is, I can't believe it, really. And that is what I'm talking about astral projection, manifestation, all that, because, and fate. Because you're like, how can, life is odd, but how can that not have been meant to happen? You know, yes. I can't, it just feels too kind of serendipitous or too kind of perfect. And that's amazing to me.
0: Well, it sounds like you're living your dream, Russell. And, and, you know, perhaps the dream that you have intended, if that makes sense.
1: Maybe, yeah, but I, I think I've always been someone that, I've never apologized for my enthusiasm. That was something I learned earlier, and I've definitely gone to my parents. My parents were always like, what do you want to do? Let's go and do it. They they allowed my eccentricities. They kind of supported and celebrated my eccentricities. When I was eight, for example, they said, what do you want to do on your eighth birthday? Most kids my age were going to go around the kitchens at the Wimpy and you'd have your burger after. I wanted to go to the annual Rock and Mineral Society convention, which was in Howard Wood in the school hall. They were like, what? I said, yeah, I want to go to that. And they were like, okay. And we sat in this school hall with all these white-haired people talking about these geodes and A-gates that they'd cut up from these rocks in like Kuala Lumpur or somewhere. And I was sat there next to my parents, and they must have sat next to me, this eight-year-old, been like, what is this? What have we created? (laughs) But for them to do that, for me at that age, and always has just fed into the person I am now. But I've always been very positive. I've always really tried to be the nicest person you could possibly be. Uh, I'm all about, you know, love, care for people, be available for people, and put out good energy, you know? And whenever I've had times in my life where I've met someone and it's been bad energy it's been p- quite painful and hard but i've i've had to realize that you go like that's you have to cut that off you have to get rid of that because that is like it's kind of bad energy around you whoever that is and it's it's hard but that's something that i've been like you you got to stay like you gotta, your world your support has to be full of love and you have to be able to give that out and get that back. And I've been really lucky that, you know, through my family, it's been amazing. And then the friends that I've chosen for myself, my my chosen family has been phenomenal. And dogs, obviously, because they're full of love.
0: Dogs are full of love. It it sounds to me, Russell, you know, just in the brief time we've been chatting, that you are an incredibly deep thinker. Is your mind constantly ticking over?
1: Yeah, it is. And I'm always doing stuff, like I'm writing, I'm podcasting, I'm acting, I'm... You know, I'm always doing creative things. Someone the other day said that I'm creatively fertile uh, at the minute. And I do. I just feel like, you know, suddenly it's like another little door opens. and They go, oh, can I go in there? Oh, what's going on here? All right, yeah, let me get involved. I'm not someone that's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to apologize and not take up too much space. I've got this point now where I'm like, I'm going to just, I'm getting given this space, so I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to run around in it and see what comes from it. And I think that's all anyone can really do is just to go, what is it I want to do? Then go for it. Then do it. Do the best you can. And what am I interested in? Then go and follow your interests. Go and just enjoy stuff and not apologize for it. I think I felt a lot of shame growing up about being a geek about liking art, about having loads of books everywhere. If anyone came back, I'd feel like I'd had to apologize for the fact that I had paintings on my wall or I had shelves full of books that they might be like, well, you're a boffin, aren't you? Mm. And that felt like the worst thing ever. And now I'm like, that's the best thing ever. That's actually been the biggest asset of my life is recognizing that the stuff that I was like, that is personal to me, is actually what is good about me, is what is actually me. And I think that so many people do that throughout their careers as they go, this comes easy to me. This is what I'm interested in. So it can't be right. This can't be. Yeah,
0: I think that's a generation thing as well, Russell. You know, I think I think when we were growing up, yes, being a being a geek was perhaps, you know, a little bit uncool, as it were. Whereas I think these days, I mean, I'm a father to three boys and 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 I think from what I see with with my different children, you know, it is a different world these days, and and actually far more accepting and and embracing of alternative choices. You know, it's not just about lads yeah. lads kick a football and girls like pink. You know, it's, yeah. that's not how it's not it's not binary
1: job. anymore, is it? No, no, you're right. It's not binary anymore, and that's it. you're right. It is a generational thing because the worst thing at school was to be clever and smart, mm. whereas you know, I think I pretended at school that I was thick because. That was cooler. I would be naughty. I'd get kicked out of class. That was more fun. That was cooler. I didn't, I wanted to be reading books. I wanted to be writing stories, but it was easier to mess around because it made the day better, you know, to be actually someone that sat in the corner and did your work and was really good at it meant that you're socially, you were kind of ostracized. You weren't, you know, respected. And but I had outside of school, I had my drama. So I would be like in school and I'd mess around or whatever. And I'd, but outside, I'd be working really hard on my drama. That was the thing that I was like, I've got my drama. I've got my acting outside of school.
0: Yes, you had that clever balance um, Russell, I hope you don't mind this question but I'm intrigued you, you know you mentioned that someone described you recently as creatively fertile and obviously you're yeah. all, all yin and yang does, does that mean you've had do you experience barren patches where you know the creativity the enthusiasm the passion for and zest for life isn't isn't there or, or are you pretty
1: consistent I've been pretty consistent luckily I'm touching wood now I think creatively fertile now because I'm doing so many different things mm. like you know, before I've always been an actor and I've had my art stuff, but now I've got like three TV shows I've written in development. I've got the book out. I've got other stuff I'm writing. I've got the podcast. I've got the acting stuff that I'm involved in. I'm curating. I've just been doing the Turner prize. Uh, I was on the jury for the Turner prize. Um, there's, there's like, I'm just like doing loads of stuff and it's, it sounds like a lot. I mean, saying it loudly, that's a lot, but it's. It, it's brilliant. It's fun, so it doesn't feel like work. You know, there's that Noel Coward saying: sometimes work is more fun than fun, and it is. It 100% is.
0: Yeah, and and the other one: if you want something doing, ask a busy person. So you know, it's it's terrific. That,
1: you know, 100%. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. If I have to get something done and I'm really busy, it's done. If I've got <laughs> nothing to do, it won't get done. I love It's so funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, but I, I my my biggest bugbear is people that turn up too early. I hate that. I hate it so much when you organise something you go, right, they're gonna turn up at eight. That's great. So I've got to get this done, this done, this done and then yep. suddenly at like seven thirty <laughs> yes. you what go, We're, we're no. outside, you're like, You can't you can't be here yet and you're like, No, I've got to i I've got to do this, 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 no. Yep. And then they come in and they're like, Hi and my Mum, I love her with all my heart, but she loves to be early because for her, <laughs> being at late is it, terrible. I Please, if anyone knows me, do not arrive early. Get there on time or just after or a little bit later. I'm completely fine with that because it knocks me off because, yeah, if you've got so much to do, you kind of like space out your day. And in my head, I'm like, OK, I've got the time to do that. I can do that at that point. I can respond to that then. So it throws me off.
0: Hundred percent, yeah. Don't derail me. I've got this to do first. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. And you have to set the vibe, Russell. We've we've not even spoken about acting yet, which is a crime given your pedigree. And 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 you know, I should I should be whipping myself for this. But but you know, let's let's kind of dive in. I mean, first up, let's talk about the, obviously theatres and everything. The world has changed. Theatres have been closed, so it's wonderful to hear that there is a new play coming to the West End. Constellations. You're in it, and it sounds utterly fascinating. Just just talk us through it.
1: Constellations is a play by Nick Payne, which was done uh, many years ago, i say tell you, eight, seven years ago, eight years ago, at the Royal Court Theatre upstairs, and it transferred to West End. It had Rafe Spall in it originally as Sally Hawkins. And it's a, uh, couples. it's a couple, but it's done through um, the concept of the fact that we live in a multiverse, so a parallel world, sliding doors. So in this world, uh, I say this, but in another world, Uh, I don't say that, I'm saying it to someone else. It's like everything I've ever done and everything I'm ever going to do exists somewhere else. So it plays out that these couples, what is destiny, what is fate, what is meant, what is the pursuit of love? Are you meant to find the love of your life or are they someone that isn't, but in this world they are, in this world they're not. So this concept of these two couples, and it's a 70-minute play, it's meant to run at 70 minutes, kind of bouncing around each other, boun- trying to find you know, the, the path of, of trueness, of realness throughout. So what they've done with this is that uh, uh, they got this in because of obviously the current climate. There's half the audience is going to be in there, although we did get a message from the government recently that hopefully by middle of June we can have full capacity again, which would just be heaven. Oh, yeah. But at the minute, they're going ahead with half the audience in there and there's four iterations of this one play. So it starts, the first couple is, uh, Zoe Wanamaker and Sofia Capaldi. Now they're playing their version That's heavy of weight. Roland and Marianne. That's heavy. That's heavyweight. Heavy yeah, they're kicking off. Then the Sheila Atim and Ivana Jeremiah, who's an amazing actor actress. They are doing their iteration of Roland and Marianne. Then we start coming in. It's me and Amari Douglas, who, if you saw It's a Sin, he was yeah. Roscoe Babatunde, who's just oh my god, he's amazing. So we had a week the other week where we had like a pre-week, and then we go back in July to rehearse and. I love him. I think he's amazing, and I I, I feel so excited. The, the the only thing you want as an actor, if you're instinctive, is to meet another actor who's instinctive, that's the, the greatest pleasure. And he is, we're literally just like completely locked in to whatever that is when you're acting. I can't, you can't, that indescribable feeling when you know you just ride a vibe. And me and him have got that, and that was so exciting. So our coupling comes in from July 30th, and then we rep with. Anna Maxwell Martin, who's obviously in Line of Duty and yeah. Motherland, uh, and and, and uh, Chris O'Dowd.
0: And wasn't she? we have got to talk about Chris O'Dowd as well. But wasn't wasn't she unbelievable in Line of Duty? Yeah. Having seen her in Motherlands, then she's yeah. in Line of Duty like that. You're just like, whoa!
1: She's the best. Oh. She's the best. I, I did a play with Anna. I was in His Dark Materials, which we did at the National Theatre yeah. before I did the History Boys. So we're talking about 16 years ago, and. Even then, it was just like she's just knockout. That thing, whatever that thing is, she's completely got it. So, yeah. So they—they this this ensemble of actors, which will never see each other on stage, but are going to be performing the same production, is really exciting, and that will start soon. So to be back on stage in the West End doing this incredible play, ah, uh, that's really moving and but funny and entertaining and clever. Uh, is going to be brilliant. Yes, I
0: mean, and, and, and is it one of those ones where the audience know who they're going to be seeing that night or is it an un- unknown
1: thing? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, so you book up. I mean, the unknown thing would be quite fun, wouldn't it? But yeah. no, you book up for, I mean, you can book for all four productions. You can book for your favourite coupling who you're drawn to most. You can, you know, so that's all online at the minute on the Donmar Warehouse website website, and then it's going to be at the vaudeville. So it's Donmar Warehouse West End, vaudeville on the Strand. Uh, Constellation, so that yeah, that's all available to buy now, and then you can see the dates of whatever couple uh, you're interested in uh, yeah, on their schedule. Clever yeah. idea. It's a
0: clever idea, Russell. You've been in so yeah. many shows from television, film, theatre, and so on. You've acted with so many unbelievable, unbelievable people. But you know, we have to touch on your your co-stars for The Good Liar Helen Mirren uh, and Sir Ian yeah. McKellen. I mean, yeah. what was that like?
1: Well, Helen Mirren. We've nicknamed Heaven, which she loves, and uh, it's—I mean, it's—it was just like, "What is going on?" This is brilliant, and just filming. They're so They're so nice. They're so brilliant. And I remember just walking into scenes, and they're both sat there, and there's me playing her like grandson, and it's just yeah, it was just the best, and the film was so much fun and we got to spend a lot of time in Berlin I remember going out to like a couple of bars with Ian in Berlin and just being like I'm out with Gandalf in Berlin yeah, yeah please tell me you did him <out>. and,
0: yeah. <laughs> surely you did that I mean, no oh no, no, come no. on
1: no but the thing is about Ian that is so generous of him is he completely understands his fan base and how people kind of feel around him that he will do impressions of you know being on the bridge thou shall not pass yeah. if people ask him he just doesn't because he's the most wonderful, generous – and he's been on Talk Art, the podcast, and his episode was brilliant because he's a big collector. He knows, like, David Hockney. He's a Lowry, uh, like, expert, and he has, like, at Lowry artworks, and he walks just around his, like, house telling us about the art. And, again, for him, it's all, like, like, it plays into his history because he's been collecting art and buying artworks that really relate to what's going on in his life. But, yeah, to do that, that movie was uh, – amazing and yeah friends for life and yeah heaven is heaven mirror is the dream <laughs> I,
0: think, I think that's just brilliant um i've got Ooh. a random one for you in a moment russell but you 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 have inspired me so i'm going to ask you you know because I, I really do feel the need now myself to start buying art what where do I start? What what's a good place for me to go? Right, this is this is who I should be looking at because this is Russell says this is cool. And cuz I want to buy a piece of art because you've told me this person is is really cool. You should be you should be looking at that cuz that well, can be the front I mean, of my wall.
1: Well, I mean there's there's so many routes into it and it all depends on various things like what what are you buying art for? What, what are you What are you into? What are you drawn to? you into photography, into sculpture, drawing, painting. Do you like figurational? Do you like abstract? Do you like geometric shapes? Do you just like colour fields? Are you buying because you want an investment? Are you buying because you want to just have a work of art behind you for your zoom meetings are you buying work because you want to support an artist do you want an edition of of various numbers do you want an original work of art there's so many routes into it my thing would be get the talk art book a because that's what we're talking about but also because in there there are so many emerging artists there's so many artist works that haven't been published yet they haven't had their work talked about in this sort of way they haven't been related in this sort of way to other artists the same discourse so that is, a, uh, there's so many artists in there for you to discover. But then there's so many other ways in is that go to museums and see what you are drawn to and go, okay, I like this. Who else is sort of making work like this? The, yeah. the other thing that's really good is just editions, buy editions. If you've got no money, buy a postcard, buy a poster of a show. Gilbert and George are incredible. If you go to a Gilbert and George show, they sign these posters that are like 15 pounds, hand signed by them. And you can have them up on your wall. And they're signed by Gilbert and George. And that artist's hand has gone into creating them posters. Yeah, That's that. not some graphic designer. That's literally them. They've sat there and gone, we want this, 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 this. And then they both signed it. And you can have that for like 15 quid from an exhibition. That's incredible. Yeah. You can get exhibition posters from like the last 50 years on eBay. Some random Donald Judd show that happened somewhere. Some Andy Warhol show. You can get these super cheap. You know a David Hockney exhibition that was a you know like Blindborn opera or something like thirty years ago. You can find on eBay. It might be a bit battered, but that's kind of given it history. Yeah. So you just got to find out what it is you like, what your budget is, I guess. But by emerging, that's my that's my thing. By yeah. support an artist, encourage them, be part of their development and support network because you really could be supporting the next Tracey Emin. And how amazing would that be if that you were there at the beginning and you followed them and been able to support them and buy their work throughout their career to the point where you're then attending their opening night at the Tate Modern exhibition and they're like, I just want to say thank you to you because you were there at the beginning. That's the biggest honor you could ever have and that you can do that today that would be
0: wonderful and there is a there's a lovely bit towards the end of the book I think it's around about 100, page 180 or something where you you talk about where and how to see art and, and get involved in it it's a, it's a it's a terrific book I couldn't recommend it highly enough Talk Art is is really really terrific well done man. thank you it's, uh, it's, thank it's you really so much great. thank you very Brilliant. much good luck with it all it's going to be a, thank a triumph, you an absolute triumph if you're enjoying the Andy J podcast we'd love a review in fact if you're enjoying the show why not tell your friends podcasts live and die on well often word of mouth so